of a sermon as he is giving his final address to the people of Israel before they cross over into the promised land. The message that he has been giving them is very important, expounding upon the law, but more importantly, reminding them of important things that they would need to do as they would attempt to enter the promised land and to remain there, that God would stay with them and be prosperous. And we've seen in the last couple of chapters how the Lord had desired for His people to love them with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to teach their children this very thing as well. Teach them what God had done and to love the Lord and to follow and serve Him. We saw in chapter 7 that God also reminded them that you are my chosen people, my treasured possession. I pulled you out of Egypt so that you would come to me and have this great relationship. So we come into chapter 8, the beauty of of Moses' sermon uh, just continues to be staggering and just beautiful as he expresses uh, the love of God and and, and the will of God. Just notice the the, uh, beginning here of chapter 8 and listen to what Moses proclaims about God to the people. Chapter 8, verse 1 of Deuteronomy. The whole commandment I have commanded you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land the Lord your swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. That is highly instructive as Moses now proclaims this message. And you'll notice that what Moses does as he preaches this is he he says to them, now, our time in the wilderness has not been a waste of time. Sometimes you think about the wilderness wanderings like we could just have cut out the 39 years there and just got there in the matter of weeks and we had to have a year at Sinai and get the law and all of that. But what a waste that I could have just hurried up and got there. And Moses says, I don't want you to think about it like that. I want you to consider that there was a purpose that was going on during all of that time in the wilderness. And you see it clearly expressed in verse 2 where here Moses says, what God was doing in the wilderness is he was humbling you. He was testing you and he wanted to see what was in your heart. He wanted to know if you would be able to do what God said or not. Would you choose to obey him or not? And I think it's such an interesting declaration. It is a a powerful declaration. We saw this message in the book of Job. You see this message many times in the scriptures But one of the things that we often ask and want to know, why is there suffering? Why are there difficulties? Why is there evil? Why do we go through pain? Why do we have all of this going on? And one of God's consistent answers over and over again is that I'm humbling you and testing you. Over and over again, God gives that answer. The whole book of Job, the key theme that runs through that is let's see what Job does. If we take everything away, what will he do? God says he'll serve. Satan says, no, he won't. 
And that's exactly what you see Moses saying here is the time in the wilderness was a time of humbling and a time of testing. The reason you had this great terrifying wilderness that Moses has called it that twice so far in his sermon had a very important purpose. And it was God allowing that to happen to see if you would obey or not. In fact, notice that God pushes that even a little further in verse three. And he humbled you and let you hunger. Just stop there. He humbled you and let you hunger. We talked a little bit about that in the book of Numbers when we noted that they'd gone a month without eating. And they'd gone days without water. And there was clearly a reason for it because God was going to miraculously give them water and give them food. And He certainly could have done that every four hours like I would have wanted as we would go through the wilderness as, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, a few snacks along the way. This would have been comfortable. And here God says, no, I did this for a reason. I let you hunger. Underline that and just let that hit you in the face. God let them hunger. It wasn't just simply, well, you know, we had 30 days and nothing to eat out here. And boy, we are sure glad that God intervened at the very last second to to save us because we were all about to die if we went to day 31. No, God says, I let that happen. And he says, the reason I did that is to humble you. To humble you, I let you hunger. To humble you, I let that happen to you. And I think it's so interesting that what you see being described here is that God is attempting to get Israel in their time in the wilderness to depend on God. That God would rule over our suffering and that he rules over our time in the wilderness. And I want you to see what he was hoping that they would learn as you continue to read verse 3. It says he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He says, Here's what happened. I let that happen to you so that you would be humbled and you would have this complete dependence upon me. Because the essence of life is that we would trust God. And that's why God let that happen. God says the time in the wilderness that was great, terrifying, and the oppression that you had and the difficulties that you faced and the thirsting and the hungering, I allowed that to happen. I let that happen to you because I wanted you to trust me. And I want you to consider as Moses expresses this, that the message then of the hungering in the wilderness and the message of this statement here that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth is not simply to say, well, see, God will provide while that's true. Notice that's not the argument Moses is making. Moses' argument is he lets you hunger so that you would realize God would feed you. That's not the argument. That's not his point, though true and valid and what they were certainly supposed to learn. But they were supposed to learn a greater principle. They were supposed to learn a greater idea. And the greater idea is because God provided for you in this one instance, you can trust everything that comes out of God's mouth. That's the message. 
God said, I will take care of you and feed you. And he did. Therefore, you can trust everything that God says. This is an example, not that we would quarantine it and go, well, okay, I know I can trust God for food and that's it. But everything else in life, I don't know. No, God's going, no, the whole point is that by doing that, you would know that we live by his words, what he says. What he says is what we can trust in. And if he says he will do something, he will do it. And this was to be an example to Israel in that regard. This is exactly what Jesus is getting at. You might recognize that quote. When Jesus, guess where he is when he's tempted? He's in the wilderness. You have a mirroring here where Israel fails in the wilderness to trust in the very words of God in believing that God would care for them, provide for them, and bring them into glory, to bring them into that promised land. Now Jesus comes into the wilderness and He is tempted by Satan. And what is His answer? Yeah, He's saying life is more than food. We often give that point. But the point is far bigger than that. The point is not just simply, yeah, God provides food and we we live beyond just simply food. No, the point is, I know God's going to take care of me. I know the Father's going to take care of me. Now, why would Jesus know that? And don't default into, well, he had miraculous knowledge and that's why he knew. And so that's no help to us. We don't have that. No, why would he know? Think about what is central to the gospel accounts. That the father at the beginning of the ministry says, this is my beloved son. And now you have every reason to believe that God is going to treat him as a son and carry out everything that he's ever promised. And Jesus turns to Satan, doesn't say, hey, you know, I can live without bread. That's not the answer. That's not what the quotation is about. The quotation is, I believe in the Father to provide for me and care for me and bring me all the way through. I don't need to rely upon your temptation. I don't need to listen to you, Satan. This is the big message. And what is so great about it is Jesus succeeds where Israel fails. Where Israel fails in the wilderness and not trusting in God all throughout the wilderness as we've been reading about failure after failure, never believing in what God says, and thus ultimately failing to reach the rest that that first generation missed out on. Moses is warning to them, say, don't you do that. You need to realize that the wilderness was all about learning this message, that you can trust what God says. Because remember, what is the context of the sermon? Go into that land and win because God's going to fight for you. You don't have to do anything. God's giving you the land. You should believe it. Why should you believe it? Because he always does what he says. And it was proven in the wilderness. It was absolutely proven. And Jesus succeeds on that as he believes exactly in the promises of God and completely depends upon those promises. A beautiful picture where Israel in the wilderness, turns to complaining and rejecting and rebellion. Jesus in the wilderness, no complaining, no rebellion, full trust, discards Satan and says, I'm going to rest in God. What does it have to say that happens next? God does that very thing, right? You have angels ministering and the whole thing happening going on right now. God absolutely comes through and does exactly what's promised. Jesus was right to trust in that. 
Now notice what that leads to. Verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you. Your foot did not swell all those 40 years. By the way, just amazing. It's like, did you realize that there were no clothing stores in the wilderness? And for 40 years, they did just fine with the clothes that they had and the shoes that we had. I can't get shoes to last more than just a couple of years. 40 years, your sandals were just fine. I wonder how that happened, Moses says. Moses says, think about that. God was taking care of you. He was doing exactly as he said. Verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So here he sets up. So life is all about trusting in every word that God says. And the very next thing he says, so you know God disciplines you. What does he mean by that? Unfortunately, what we have the tendency to do is when we read of discipline and we talk about discipline in our American language, we usually mean discipline is punishment for wrongdoing. That's usually how we define discipline. It's a very narrow scope. We just go discipline is always bad. Uh, Discipline is always a negative. It is always a consequence for doing something wrong. And that's not the idea in scriptures. It's certainly part of discipline, no doubt. But not the whole idea at all. Discipline always carries with it the idea of instruction and training. And and that's what here God is saying is just as I did as a father would to a son. So also I did to you. I was training you. I was instructing you in the wilderness. I want you to think about what what God is saying here about that. Because what was the point in verse 2 and verse 3? I let you hunger. And I will let you walk in the wilderness for those 40 years, testing you to know what was in your heart. What's he saying? I let you experience difficulties. And that was for your good. That was for your training. That was for your instruction, your discipline. That's what you needed. You needed to go through those things. I tested you and allowed that to happen in your life to test your heart because that's exactly what you needed. I wish that wasn't true for humans. But I think we would all readily admit that all of the lessons that we usually have learned in life come from dealing with the consequences of our mistakes. I would like to say, no, every time somebody came up to me and in their wisdom as an older person told me, Go this way, not that way. I went, okay, I will always pick the right path and I will never make foolish mistakes. <laughs> no, we need the discipline. We need the direction and the instruction and the training and the correction because that's what we do. And the way we learn is through what we experience. We learn through the testing. We learn through the failure. And that is the idea of what a parent does with the child is allowing that discipline and allowing those consequences. If I can have a, a, a 30 second soapbox, friends, this is one of the problems with parenting going on right now is sheltering kids from the consequences of their decisions. And then they don't understand why things aren't hunky dory and peachy every time they do something. Because you sheltered them from realizing here's what happens when you make those kinds of mistakes. You need to let your kids experience it and understand so that they won't make that mistake again. If you protect them from every bad thing that is ever going to happen to them, they're going to get in all kinds of trouble. And this is what I think God's saying here to Israel. I disciplined you. I allowed that to happen. I let these things come upon you. Sure, God could be, oh, it's okay, it's okay. No. 
You needed to learn. You needed to be tested. You needed those hard times. You needed to hunger for 30 days. You needed that to happen. And I did that as a father would to a child is what he is saying, that you would experience those consequences and learn from those mistakes so that you would grow to trust in the word of God. They needed to fail to believe in God. They needed to see the consequences of their error to believe in what God had said. If God just kept taking away consequences, why would they ever believe? This is what God is saying. This is what Moses is saying. This is why this all happened to you. This is why all this suffering took place. It's why life was difficult in the wilderness. And it's exactly what Moses says, what we need. Now watch what he does with that. Verse 6. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water and fountains and springs flowing out out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates and land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. Moses says, you are going to go into this land, obey the Lord, and you are going to be, and boy, there's an important word right there, he uses full You are going to be satisfied. Go into the land. And he says, you are going to be satisfied. Verse 9, you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to give you great prosperity. I'm going to have you eat until you are full. Now watch the the irony of what's about to take place. So he says there in verse 10, so you're going to eat and be full. And here's what you're supposed to do in your prosperity when you are satisfied. Verse 10, bless the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. When you are prospering and doing well, bless God. Because what's going to happen? Verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. By not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then the Lord, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. What an irony. God says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bring you into the land. If you obey the Lord, you're going to go into the land and you will not have to worry about food. You're going to be completely satisfied and you're going to be full. But guess what's going to happen when you have prosperity and you live in your good houses and you have all of that wealth and you enjoy all that? You're going to forget God. If you were God, would you bless them like that then? (laughs) Would you go, wait a minute, this is a bad idea. If we bless human beings so that they are satisfied you know what they're going to do they're going to forget God and that's what Moses says don't do that 
Here's what's going to happen. You're going to go into the land and you're going to have all that wealth and you're going to have all that food and you're not going to have to worry. And ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to completely forget God. Notice verse 14. Your heart will be lifted up. You are going to be proud. And you are going to forget what God has done. You're going to think it's all about you, which is what he's going to talk about in just a moment. You're going to become arrogant. You're going to completely forget everything that God did for you. You are going to forget how terrible things were before the Lord and where He brought you to this point. You are going to forget how impoverished you were as slaves in Egypt. And how God has given you such satisfaction and wealth and and joy and rest in the promised land. You're going to forget. And notice that He says everything that was going on in the wilderness, such an important statement in verse 16, He says He did this for your good. I would like that to just be emblazoned into our minds. The wilderness is for our good. The wilderness is for our good. We need the wilderness. And he says, God allowed that for your good because what happens is when you become prosperous, what do you do? You forget God. So you need the wilderness to remember your God. You need the wilderness to humble you, to remember who's in charge of all of this, to remember how you received all of those things, because ultimately disobedience comes from forgetting God. Ultimately, that's why we disobey. We forget God. We forget what he's done for us. We forget all that we're enjoying is from him. We forget all of those things. In fact, listen to the language of what he describes in verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Well, I'm I'm glad that is something we do not say. (laughs) We never think that in our mind. Well, I did that. It's because of my knowledge, it's because of my smarts, it's because of my abilities and my talents and my wealth and my power that I have all these things. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God... And go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish. Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Here's what God says. Every time you start thinking about... Well, you know, I sure do make good decisions and I sure am smart and I have a lot of knowledge and I have a lot of wisdom and I have a lot of strength and I have a lot of power and I have a lot of wealth. God says, you know, the only reason you have all that is not only because I gave it to you, but I gave you the power to do it. I gave you that strength and I gave you that knowledge and I gave you that wisdom and I gave you that ability. You didn't get that on your own. God gave it to you. And that's God's message here as He stands before them before they go in the promised land. You have what you have because God gave it to you. Don't say it's by my might. Don't say it's by my power. Don't say it's by my wisdom. It is God who, who is doing those very things. And this is the point that Moses is getting at. Do you see why we need the wilderness? Do you see why we need testing? Do you see why we need difficulties? Do you see why we need suffering? Because that is exactly what we do. 
As soon as things go well, what do we do? <laughs> look at me. All right. Oh, look at me. You know, that's, I work hard, and that's why I get all that wealth, and that's why I'm getting those pay raises, and that's, that's why I'm getting promoted, and I'm getting all that. That's, you know, look at me. I just saw that this morning in our Bible class, good old Nebuchadnezzar. Look at me and my kingdom and my power, and boy, I've made quite a kingdom for myself. And God goes, oh, really? You did that, did you? Let's try that again. And here is Moses saying, don't you dare think about coming into the promised land and think that there's one thing you have that's not from God. And any ability, any talent, and any strength you have is because God has blessed you with it. Do not raise yourself up. And he prescribes the doom in verses 19 and 20 as we just read. You know what will happen if you forget God? You will be judged just like the nations. As soon as we elevate ourselves and say, well, it's by my power and might and strength and look at all that I've done, God says, you're going to be judged like everybody else. You're completely going to miss out. You're going to be treated like the world in judgment. You're going to perish just like them, as Moses warning to them. I want us to think about the connection that's made there. Notice that prosperity is just as much a test of faith as suffering. He's taken two sides of the life pendulum, hasn't he? He started with, I tested you and let you hunger in the wilderness. I did that to see what was in your heart, to know if you would obey me or not. And then he comes over to the prosperity side and he says, when you have all that prosperity, what's your heart going to do? Is it going to be elevated against God? Is it going to think, oh, look at me. It's so interesting that both are tests of faith. Whether in good times or in bad times, these are tests of faith. These reveal what is in our hearts. When things are going great, what are we doing in regards to that with God? How do we perceive those good times and those blessings and that prosperity? And when things are dark and difficult, how do we perceive those very times? Ultimately, the question then is put before us. Will we remember no matter what our circumstances and no matter if we have much or we have little, that's from God. If we are rolling in the dough and doing well here, that's from God. Will you remember Him and and glorify Him in that? And if you've lost absolutely everything and you don't have two nickels to rub together, that's from God. What are you going to do with that? Will you still trust God who allowed you to hunger in the wilderness? Moses stands up and says, it's a test of faith. It's a test of faith in either direction that we go before our God. And so prosperity then tests us to see what is in our hearts. Will we remember that everything that we have and everything that we have achieved comes from God? I want to make three applications then for our lesson tonight. Number one, we have talked about again and again that the model of redemption that we are seeing from Exodus to Deuteronomy is our story. It is very much our story. And we noted in our study of numbers that right now we are in the wilderness on our way to the promised land, longing to be with God for eternity. 
And the message of the wilderness should just be so strong in our minds that the wilderness is a place of testing. The time of our lives right now is intended to humble us. It is intended to reveal exactly what is in our hearts. That's what it's there for. That's all the ups and downs that we go through. And we why are things less going on like this? It, the history of God is very simple. I want to see what's in your heart. I want to know what you're made of. I want to see what's on the inside. It is so easy in the good times to say, oh no, I would certainly serve God and worship God and give everything to Him no matter what happens in my life. That's only proven one way. You have to go in the wilderness. You have to go through the times of testing and the times of difficulty. You have to go through the suffering and the pain to see if you will remain in your resolve to God or not. The wilderness then is intended so that we will be completely dependent upon the promises of God and nothing else. I've said it this way in other lessons. It comes in really well right here. Will you still serve God if you take away fill in the blank? Because that's really what we spend a lot of time in Job talking about. If you lose your house, are you still serving? If you lose your job, if you lose your wealth, if you lose your children, if you lose your spouse. You see, these are the questions that are being challenged in the wilderness. Will we be faithful even if we were to lose it? Because the only way to be faithful is to be completely dependent upon the promises of God. That our hope cannot rest on having houses and having families and having a good job and having a lot of money and having all of these things in this life. If our hope rests on these things, Guess what happens when they're gone? That's why I've made mention of many lessons. Everyone and everything will let you down except God. I'll let you down, and all your stuff is going to let you down, and your family's going to let you down, and your friends are going to let you down. Everybody's going to let you down. There's only one doesn't let you down. Your hope has to rest in Him. Think about why Israel failed. Ultimately, why does Israel fail in the wilderness? Why are they failing in that time? Because their hope is in what they could see. Their hope was not built on an unseen God. Their hope was not in God when he said, I will provide for you water. They didn't believe it. And when God said, I'll provide you food. They didn't believe it. And when God said, don't worry about there being giants and large cities to the sky. You aren't going to have to do a thing. I'm going to give it to you. They didn't believe it. That they would go into the wilderness and would say to God, you brought us out here to die. They didn't believe in what God said. 
See, that is the ultimate reality and must be the hub of our lives. Friends, the way we will get through the wilderness and the way that we will get through trials is recognizing, recognizing, realizing, letting it hit into us so deeply. We live on the words of God. That's what propels us through today are the promises of God and there's nothing else that's going to work. I believe in the promises of God and that's what will carry me through another day. I want us just to think for a minute. So how is God teaching us? What trial are you going through that God is using to humble you? What trial are you facing right now that is intended by God to cause you to trust him all the more? What suffering are you experiencing so that you will depend upon God more than you ever have before? These difficulties are intended to remind us and teach us and show us that we would rely upon God. And unfortunately, it is only the time in the wilderness. It is only the time of pressure and suffering of difficulty and loss that really does change us. I can't say there's been anything more transforming in my life than my youngest daughter. That's changed everything about me. And it's revealed all kinds of mess in me. And everything that had to get fixed in me. We have to go through it. If we're going to go to the promised land. We have to go through it. If we're going to go to the promised land. What is absolute spiritual shipwreck. Is what we have the tendency to do when we come into trials. Is blame everybody else. We want to blame everybody else instead of looking at our trial and saying, God's given this to me to humble me. And what am I going to learn from this? How can I be transformed for God? But what we want to do is everybody else is the blame. Everybody else is the reason why our lives are miserable. And this is what you see going on in our world today. So everybody tries to make all these changes in their lives. And I call it rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You you can change your location. You can change your job. You can change your spouse. You can change everything that you want to change in your life. And it's not going to change a single thing about your situation before God. And you need to be humbled before him. You can move across the country. You can move around the world. You can do whatever you want to do. and It's not going to change a thing. We've got to go through the wilderness. We've got to be tested. What is God doing to humble us and test us? And don't forget verse 16, to do you good in the end. This is for our good. We need this. We'd be proud, arrogant people if we didn't have a wilderness to walk through. We'd be pointing to ourselves and glorifying ourselves. We need the pain. We need the suffering. We need the difficulty. God allows it to us so that we would be transformed. And number three, the other side of the coin. Has prosperity changed us? 
as prosperity changed us. Right now we live in a culture that is influencing us so strongly that think that life is based upon satisfying your appetites and desires. That you will find joy in life if you would just plunge into all of the desires and all of your wants and all of your wishes. You could have the good life now if you would just earn enough money to enjoy the things of this life. If you would just do certain things, engage in certain behaviors, have certain amount of different things and toys, you, you would enjoy the real life. And anyone who's ever pursued that has realized that doesn't satisfy the deepest desires. It doesn't accomplish what we hope. And quite the opposite, our prosperity causes us to forget God. It causes us to be proud. It causes us to think it's all about us. It causes us to not think we're going to be accountable to God for everything that we've been blessed by God with. So interesting that Israel will go into the promised land and God will bless them. And how they do with the prosperity? They forgot God. So you open the book of Judges. After the conquest of the land, there's a generation that does not know the Lord. Prosperity causes us to forget God. Israel failed. And thank God Jesus succeeded because he does exactly what we need. And friends, here's one of the great hopes that comes to us in that is in living on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. If we have failed in the time of testing or are failing in the time of prosperity, God has also said this. I'll forgive your sins. Forgive your sins. Learn from the wilderness and don't be arrogant in the prosperity. And repent of the sins for when we have failed in each of those times. And we serve a faithful God who has promised, I'll take you back. You can be my child and I'll be your father. But don't forget that God says, just as the Father disciplines the Son, so I disciplined you. It's for our good. And He allows these things to happen. To change us and transform us into what God wants us to be. Can we help you in the call to turn away from your sins? To be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. To follow your Lord faithfully. To serve Him through the difficulty and through the success. Whether it is blessings or difficulties, God is there and we must put our focus on Him. Can we help you? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?